Hello, and welcome to Around the Table, a podcast about food stories from science to everyday life. Today is the 2nd of May and it's just the start of the sixth week of lockdown in the UK, COVID-19. This series is about food in the lockdown and today I'm talking to my daughter Alexandra Ulyashuk-Scott who lives in London and she is in part of the food and drink industry and uh, she's going to tell us something about herself. So tell me something about yourself and your situation at the moment. Hi, yeah, so I work in the horeca section of the food and beverage industry. Um, So basically what that means is uh, that refers to kind of the more sort of structured um, areas of high-end restaurants and cocktail bars. Um, I myself work in a high-volume cocktail bar called Kalukale. So as a bartender, most of my kind of daily schedule is normally it's very late night. So most of my shifts at work would begin between sort of 3 p.m. and 8 p.m. and end between sort of midnight 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. So uh, obviously, actually, the entire kind of structure of my of my daily life has kind of shifted quite a bit uh, with this. Um, And it's it's actually quite an adjustment to make really adjusting from waking up at 11am to 9am in the morning. Um, and it also, it really does change the way that you eat and address kind of meals and social times. Um, because I think, I think it's very easy to presume that most people exist on a more kind of nine to five basis, but actually for a large part of the population, it's about 2 million people in the UK work in food and beverage and in shift patterns. So the way your social life and the way that you eat and drink is very much structured very differently. It's either towards mornings or towards late nights on your day off. Um, So I think this change of seeing daylight is actually quite a shock to a lot of that structure. So a lot's changed. Can you tell me how the lockdown your case in London has has changed or how you or or people in your household eat? Um, It's, I think it's affected all of us quite differently Um, because um, as and when you work, so I live with another bartender and I live with uh, someone who builds aquariums Um, and all of us would normally obviously eat at least one meal out of the house every day. Uh, for Dominica and I, that means that we would normally eat lunch slash dinner around 4pm at work. So lunch in our household still tends to happen around 3, 4pm. Um, but there tends to be, because we all have different uh, sort of eating and cooking patterns, what it tends to be is a lot of bulk cooking. So a lot of kind of cooking one risotto for yourself that you then eat for three days or freeze for half the days or um, Dominica cooks giant bowls of rice and vegetables and then will slowly eat her way across it, throw it across uh, several days. Um, But we're finding it's quite interesting. We go through shifts of 
sort of only going to the shops once a week or so and buying not quite more than you could possibly need but suddenly imagining oneself as a far more adventurous chef than you are and you know buying all these things that you think are going to disappear or that everyone else seems to be buying so the first week things like yogurts and minced beef were were apparently what was disappearing from the shelves so what was stocking our fridges as well um and then kind of as time's gone on you go through these phases of what anything to get out of the house really um and trying to resist that urge to go out for for bits and bobs and actually finding it quite hard to plan meals in advance when you're quite unused to it um actually and also we don't have the space because we have a fridge between three people so all our basics are separate in that kind of storage area um so doing one cohesive shop for everyone's not quite the same option so how's it been for you personally these these changes learning to live in a in in a in a differently structured way um i i find it in turns incredibly rewarding and um incredibly challenging um essentially because i i cook a lot of people in my industry you know we we spend our lives working around flavor and different ingredients whether you're looking at spirits or you're looking at actual kitchens most of us a lot of our free times and what we really do care about is the food and beverage industry so a lot of people i know have started some really really fantastic um podcasts or projects um one person i know his girlfriend had to move back home so he's living alone and his way of kind of keeping sane through this is that he's um, blogging recipes every single day um, in this very kind of calm and supportive way and just very much reaching out to people through that as well and, you know, talking to other people while they cook. Um, and for myself, again, that that investment in cooking well means that when I do choose to cook, you know, I'll have a day where I'll spend the entire day making uh, chicken stock from scratch and then I will make a pasta dough from scratch and then I will use that chicken stock to make bolognese sauce. Um, but also if you're not in a family environment or an environment where everyone eats together, there's a different kind of investment in cooking, I think. It's kind of wonderful to see that reward for yourself, but it's not quite the same event of eating um, as it would be when you're used to having at least one kind of communal meal a day. Uh, so... I personally find myself baking uh, ridiculous things just to see if I can. Um, I've got a wonderful sourdough on the way and I want to see if I can make sourdough croissant with it. But that's also cooking more as a, a challenge and a structure and an art form and a way to be creative. Um, that's I think that's very much a lot of us right now are looking at food as sustenance in more of a creative manner than a physical manifestation. Um, so seeing kind of food challenges going around groups on Facebook where you take it in turn to suggest a different cuisine for the day. And so everyone kind of has to try and make some kind of Thai food from what they have in their cupboard and share that with the group afterwards. And so that does bring in a bit more of that kind of communal aspect to it and that shared joy. It's yeah, it's interesting. Which are the most used social media? Um, is it mostly Facebook? And uh, can you tell us a bit more about the, the podcast projects? Um, so it's mostly 
Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Vine has kind of really blown up right now uh, with um, uh, not Vine, TikTok, which is a ripoff of Vine, is a big social media thing right now. But that's more kind of silly, smaller things. There's lots of baking things happening on there. Uh, but they're more reminiscent of the kind of hack videos that you see on Instagram, which are ideas of recipes that are kind of more about um, extravagance or, or shock value. You know, those kind of things where you see, you know, a burger with three types of meat dipped in cheese and deep fried and slathered in bacon and then dipped in cheese and deep fried again and then put between two cakes, that kind of nonsense. Um, what's more productive tends to be, I think, through Facebook and Instagram. And Instagram seems to be kind of the followings that are happening. Instagram, you'll reach a wider base. Um, you are more likely to catch people who are actually much more vividly interesting in what you're doing because you're doing it. Whereas Facebook, it's you get much more of a communal engagement, I think. Uh, that's more of that engagement of a lot of people who know each other all appreciating someone's work or engaging someone's work together. Um, there's a few websites that have gone up as well. Um, Liam Broom has started Apocalypse Kitchen, I think he's called it, uh, where he's kind of put together this online Bible of what to shop for to set your kitchen up for the basics and then to... I think it's 10 days worth of meals for something like, I think the cost averages out to 70 pounds or something like that. Um, but again, it's interesting to see. I do wonder sometimes looking at these, how much of this is for, how much an audience is receiving from this and how much is kind of personal creative gratification. Really tricky to tell. Can I can I ask you? Um, have you got any food related projects that you're you're happy to share? Um, at the moment, well, I'm actually I mentioned um, Apocalypse Kitchen. I'm going to contact Liam. Uh, he and I, as we went as we went into lockdown, so on the twentieth, on the no nineteenth, I think. Um, he and I ended up in a conversation over who got the last eggs at someone's bar that was closing down. And then he was desperately trying to get hold of yeast. So we've had a bit of a bread back and forth. I've been doing a lot of baking. Um, so I'm thinking about challenging him to a sourdough off of who can get the most creative with their, with their sourdough <laughs> starter. Um, because I need things to do with it. Um, but creatively, I guess I'm much right now at the moment, I'm obviously much more drinks based. Um, I'm doing some things with Jägermeister, uh, for a competition they've got upcoming. And it's interesting to see a lot of these kind of beverages are working with a lot of these brands are working with home ingredients and with social media in the place of the kind of marketing and outreach they would normally have. So certain American brands like Don Q are offering cash prizes every week to interesting cocktails that people post about them on social media. Um, and there's also, I myself as part of a 
trio of fantastic bar women, uh, we're running a series of interviews with women in the drinks industry uh, called On the Source with Three After Three. And every week, our interviewee will choose their cocktail of preference, their lockdown cocktail of preference, and we all kind of have to try and recreate it from what we have at home. Um, And I think what really comes to light from activities like that, and even kind of Skype, you know, um, what are they calling it? Virtual happy hours um, is the fun of trying to recreate something that someone else is drinking while having absolutely none of the ingredients. But again, um, realizing how much connection we feel through consuming something together um something with a commonality together as well i guess it sounds like a fantastic challenge um have you learned anything new about yourself in relation to food and how you how you eat um i have well i guess actually i've learned that i really love cooking and it's something that i do i often do on my days off i really enjoy having people together and spending time spending time and really investing time into what you're cooking Um, and when I'm working a lot, obviously whatever I'm cooking or eating at home becomes quicker. Um, and what I've realized about myself and I think about my housemates and a lot of people I know as well is actually, we're all quite phenomenally lazy (laughs) when it comes to cooking. I think, um, the, again, coming back to that idea of cooking as creative outlet, as opposed to just personal nourishment, it's when there is so much time ahead of you suddenly you know anything that takes four hours to cook often ends up looking like an investment that you're not sure you're willing to make or um yeah a commitment to something you're not necessarily going to eat or perhaps something outlandish um and unnecessary and frivolous um so it kind of swings up and down um, and when I, when I say frivolous, I mean in the sense that I was quite tempted to make a croquembouche the other day, um, <laughs> which is a giant towel, a tower of profiteroles held together by spun, spun sugar. Um, and then kind of had to convince myself that that was an absolutely ridiculous waste of money. Um, and I would get entirely infuriated at myself halfway through. Um so yeah, lazy food, lots of poached eggs and salads. It's really interesting what happens when when your sense of time changes uh, because uh, living in London it's usually a frenetic kind of kind of life and and time is extraordinarily precious and suddenly time is stretched to to what distance who knows. So so that's yeah. really interesting to 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 hear. Can I just ask you, when you get your old time back, when this is over, how do you think this will change how you live and eat? Um, I'm not sure, to be honest, because I think I would like to hope that I'm definitely honing a few skills. And I think the thing, you know, I briefly said, you know, things can kind of look like, like you've set yourself phenomenal tasks, but actually it's things like making fresh pasta from home once you've done it five to ten times it actually feels like something really quick um and so that's something that I incorporated into my life over the past kind of years so I'm hoping things like making my own 
bread and keeping that structure of actually eating breakfast to the mornings will become a thing. Um, because I often don't eat breakfast, but I'm starting to. Um, and I think that's a really small thing, but that's actually one thing I've noticed with a lot of people in my industry who I've been talking to. Um, and actually, uh, someone we interviewed today who uh, works with a vodka brand um, who does a lot of things to do a kind of creativity and and sort of mental health and structure and productivity. And he was saying, you know, that morning ritual, if you can cast that morning ritual, if you can keep that, it absolutely changes the way that you structure your day and the way that you mentally structure your day. And by starting your day off with food and some form of exercise, you know, you've set a kind of, you've almost set a, a stronger foundation that leaves you kind of freer throughout the day, which I thought was actually potentially a bit more insightful than I thought initially, because eating breakfast seems like a really, really small thing until you get to 3pm and you haven't eaten and you don't have time or you have this lined up or you have that lined up and you have to think about dinner and you also realise you've kind of wibbled away three hours because you haven't got your first task of the day out of the way yet. Um, I don't know if that's helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think those are wise words. Um, uh, I wish you the very best for, 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 for the journey ahead. Um, Alexandra Uliashek-Scott, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Stanley Uliashek. It's been a pleasure. Around the Table is a personal production of Dr. Tess Bird and Professor Stanley Uliazak, who are anthropologists of food and nutrition and of household uncertainty and insecurity. The opinions and ideas expressed are solely those of the contributors and podcasters and do not reflect the opinions of any university body. We currently do not receive funding nor make money from this podcast. The music in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you for tuning in.